On a chilly Thursday morning, Sam and I wake up with mountain sun streaming through our teeny Airbnb in Telluride. The light was warm and soft and made our whole studio apartment glow. I rolled over and spooned Sam in this one position I like to call the sleep seatbelt. Our alarm goes off again. We roll out of bed. We're already in the kitchen. So Sam starts making coffee as I go out for a run. For me, running is the perfect way to optimize my trip, which is a very Silicon Valley kind of way of saying I love working out and exploring at the same time. But this activity does help me see more with the small amount of time that I have. I pant my way through the streets and parks that I might miss when I have an itinerary. And the run through Telluride is one of the best backdrops I've ever had. Telluride is located in a box canyon. It's a small Colorado mountain town deep in the Rockies with no more than 2,000 locals. You can walk around the whole town in an hour by weaving your way back and forth through every old Victorian street. Telluride is very difficult to get to. It's really only accessible by car and it's a steep drive through the mountains. But once you're there, it's even harder to leave. Telluride is the small town that every town in America wishes it was. Maybe because it's so hard to get there, or it's quixotically surrounded by beautiful mountains. Everything is locally owned. There are no commercial buildings, shops, grocery stores, or even a Starbucks. Every street is a rotation of bookstores, coffee shops, old Victorian homes, ski and hiking shops, or breweries. Everything is made with the hands and the hearts of the locals. It can feel like an eternal vacation town, which it is for many. Telluride is huge on skiing. At moments, I would jog in place or run out onto the street to let someone who was still wearing their skis pass me. They would awkwardly lift their knees too high in order to manage the concrete ground. And you can watch people ski right off the mountains and slide right into a brewery. When I finished my run, I came back to that room with the mountain light illuminating every angle. I sat down to write in front of a large window that opens up to a courtyard with a hot tub and saw a corgi running around and playing fetch. This is goddamn delightful. I love my hometown, but I couldn't help but wish I was raised here instead. Sam and I are not skiers, so we decided to spend our time in Telluride hiking instead. We chose a moderate hike on the outskirts of town. Deeper into the mountains, there'd be a periwinkle lake and waterfall. I longed to stand in that iconic Colorado background, one where crystal blue water is surrounded by massive pine trees. We drove over and started the hike on a gravel road and noticed that there were some signs that the road was closed because of avalanches. Spring was coming, and the snow that had been packed in all winter was starting to loosen up and fall. But the trail didn't seem so bad. So, Sam and I debated, and we decided to just walk as far as we could until we couldn't anymore. And as we kept walking along, we saw more details appear in the mountains. We made small talk about how Regina, my middle sister, was due any day now. She was pregnant with her second daughter, who was predicted to be born on April Fool's. 
But April 1st had come and gone, and the joke seemed to be on Regina because she was still pregnant. Suddenly, we heard a car start to drive up behind us. Which was weird because we thought this was a hiking trail. So we both turned around and saw that no one and nothing was behind us. We swiveled our heads around to look for this thing that made a sound. We didn't make that up. No one else was on the hike for as far as we could see in front of us or behind us. It's weird. So we kept walking, and then we heard that sound again, only a little louder this time. We craned our heads up towards the mountain's edge and saw buckets of snow cascading down. Oh my God, babe, do you see that? I grabbed Sam's arm and squeezed it. Our jaws slacked open as we watched an avalanche unfold in real time. I had never seen one before. We were still at a good distance away, but should probably stop walking. And then we hear another one fall. We walked over to a king-sized boulder and perched on it to watch the snow slip over the edge of the mountain. Sam and I sat there and watched the snow tumble into spontaneous waterfalls. I didn't need a lake. This was way cooler. Watching the avalanches fall was beautiful and frightening. They were far away from us, but at times the sound was so loud and the snow was coming at such a high speed I had the impulse to run. But Sam just held my hand as we sat in awe. This is incredible. As we sat there, I thought about all that we had seen on this trip. The hoodoos of Bryce Canyon, the red teeth rocks of Zion, the bunnies running around our ranch house in front of the red mesa cliff in the distance. Although I had intended this trip to feel very existential, I weirdly felt the opposite. I had never felt more alive. The thrill of the open road, seeing new attractions and wonders, eating new food, obviously masked up at all times. And I was with someone who made the adventure feel more intrepid and inspiring. God, what else could I ask for? I felt so revitalized and ready for more. And I thought about this year, this year of stillness and space from each other. Within our limitations, Sam and I had still made the most of it. When we were on the sheep farm in upstate New York, we explored all different kinds of hikes that I never did when I was actually living in the Hudson Valley. We hiked through Catterskill Falls, made our way through Overlook Mountain, and turned Hudson, Saugerties, and Woodstock into our weekend hangs. We ate at every ice cream place that was still open and became better cooks for each other. We took the time to become better storytellers and worked out like crazy. We played hours of Rat Screw and dissected podcasts down to each sound choice. We had done so much in the strange time we were given. We were very lucky in that sense, during a time of unprecedented sadness and stress. And those days were still really hard. The ones where I longed to be on stage, where we both missed our friends, or when we started to forget what house parties felt like. But we managed to find a little bit of magic in each other every day and didn't take any of it for granted. So as I watched the snow fall and try to move the earth, 
It felt good to know that in all the insanity of the world, we can still find some peace in it. Once the snow stopped rumbling, we moseyed back into town to grab a beer. The next morning, we said goodbye to the mountain air and sun and began our real trek back to Brooklyn. We still had a four-day drive ahead of us. We snaked out of the Rockies. White snow and black rock striped the mountains like a zebra. We curved around those ice blue lakes I had wanted to see so badly and passed fields of horses galloping around. There were boulders so big, I could feel it crush me just by looking at them. We buzzed into Boulder, drank more beer, had more pub food, and walked around Pearl Street Mall. We admired the rotation of hiking gear shops, breweries, and dispensaries. The next morning, we got up and headed east into Nebraska. With the Rockies in the rearview mirror, the landscape dried out and smoothed back into the plain, great plains. In the West and Midwest, everything feels bigger and everyone drives faster. As the hours clicked down and the sun began to set, I watched two Ford trucks speed juxtapose the highway on a dirt road. They were driving furiously, kicking up as much dirt as they could because what else is there to do? But before the sun left us for good, the mundane landscape lit up with a thunderstorm in the distance. It was so far away, we didn't hear the thunder, but the light was massive. It was thrown down to earth with the strength of a god. At times, the lightning just stayed within the cloud, creating hot strings of lightning that looked like a ball of tangled Christmas lights going off above our heads. But in the right corner of the storm was a rainbow, peacefully streaming out of the angry clouds, cutting in and out like a weak hologram as we drove under it to Omaha. We arrived at our Hilton Inn, delirious after another long day on the road. We woke up early the next morning to get out of Omaha and into Chicago as fast as possible. We still had a seven hour drive ahead of us. So we got coffees and I opened my phone. And as I opened my phone, I said, let's check to see if my sister's still pregnant. Only to find two texts from Regina. One was at 12.15 a.m. and it said, we're going in. And then the next one was at six in the morning saying that Charlotte Louise has arrived. Oh my God, I tear up and I furiously text to see if everyone is okay. I FaceTime Regina who is tired and feels like an emptied water balloon, but she says that the birth was fine and Charlotte is healthy and delightful. I saw her pixelated baby face and even with the poor reception, I could see that this little squished Charlotte was a beauty to behold. When I got off the phone, I noticed how we were driving right back into a brighter future. One where spring was coming, vaccines were available, and we could maybe start to be close to others again. I felt illuminated on the inside. I am so excited for what is about to happen. I felt like we were driving into something bigger. Chicago was on the horizon and the world felt bigger than ever. We arrived in the windy city on a warm spring day the kind of day that pulls people outside and takes up the streets after a long winter. People were out. After having no neighbors and inhaling the desert air for a month, Chicago was a soft reintroduction to city life. The action, the noises, and the smells. 
Sam treated us to the Waldorf Astoria for the night. Wine and chocolate was waiting for us in our all-white room. Oh my god. We toasted to the last few hours of our vacation and then headed out for dinner. I felt the energy of the city move around us. People were so excited to be out. Cars were blasting music. All of the outside dining seats and parks were filled with people. Couples were strolling around and bumping into people and catching up or walking along Lake Michigan or sitting out on their stoops chatting away with neighbors. Are we on the verge of a reawakening? Throughout this whole pandemic, there was one thought that kept me going. After the worst plagues in Italy, the Italian Renaissance quickly followed. And what happened after the 1919 Spanish flu? The Roaring Twenties. Sam and I felt that we were on the precipice of something big. So the next morning after a delightful sleep, we woke up and ordered room service. I took a bath and savored the last few seconds of relaxation until we checked out, snagged some donuts, and took the 13-hour drive back to Brooklyn head on. We followed our blue dot back home. As we retraced the states we had passed on our way out, I didn't have that same sadness that can cloud the last day of a trip, the kind of melancholy that sinks in when you realize the adventure is over. Because for reasons I'm only just discovering, I knew that this wasn't the end. It felt like we were returning to something larger and grander than we had left. I was so grateful to be alive, to do all that we could have done and taken this time to be introspective. Because whatever was about to happen to New York and the grand reopening, Sam and I couldn't wait to be part of it.